Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed Himself through Scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant Word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. But what a privilege it is to be faithful to those whom God has given us, to pour God's word, to pour our lives out, whether it's our family, whether it's those God has surrounded us to. Man, but let's be reminded that the job of salvation is beyond us, Christians. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We are, we are faithful as, as the day is long, as much as we can, and yet at the end of the day, our hope is not in our faithfulness, it's in our faithful God. Man. We're going to be talking this morning in our, our monthly series that we've been doing on Follow Me, just looking at what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ a true follower of Jesus Christ. And this morning we're going to turn that lens on uh, the women that God has given us, whether it's as a church or as families, the role of women, the role of mothers. John Piper, in talking about this, said this, the deepest root of Christian womanhood is hope in God. I'm going to read that one more time to you. I Just hear this with ears of faith. The deepest root of Christian womanhood is is hope in God. Not in her husband, not in her house or any of the provisions that are there, not in her looks, not in her abilities. It's hope in God. And that kind of hope, Proverbs 31 talks about in verse 25, says she is clothed with strength and dignity and she can laugh at days to come doesn't feel like we've done a whole lot of laughing at days to come in recent months, years. And yet this woman who has clothed herself with hope in God laughs at that which is to come because she knows her God is greater. So we've been looking in this Follow Me series at the role of discipleship for every believer, every Christian, in every church around the world, what it means for fathers, what it means for mothers, what it means for uh, brothers and sisters, whether it's in the family or brothers and sisters in Christ, to walk with each other. And I, I think if you had to sum that up in a really simple definition, it would be this, filling our cup to overflowing with the knowledge of the truth and goodness of God and then pouring it out on others, pouring it out for others. Filling our cup to overflowing with the knowledge of the truth and goodness of God and then pouring it out onto others. It's not just something we keep to ourselves, but we pour it out into the lives of other people that God has surrounded us with. We pour our lives out for people that God has surrounded us with. So grab your bulletin, the the first fill in the blank. I only have two of them for you this morning. And women, I want to ask you this question If that's the purpose, what is your life pointing to? How is your life pointing to Christ? Or is it pointing to, thank you, 
the helpmate who comes alongside. Praise God and gives us a second Bible. You can never have too much of God's word. We're going to get to why that happened a little later in the sermon, by the way. Ladies, how is your life pointing to Jesus? Is it? Or is it pointing to you? Who you are, what you have accomplished, what strengths, abilities you feel are within you that others should take notice of, others should benefit from? Or is your life outward focus, pointing towards your Savior? Whether that's within your marriage or your home or your workplace or whatever it else you put your hand to do, how are you pointing to Jesus? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read this together. First Peter chapter 2, we're going to read starting in verse 13, and then we're going to keep going all the way through chapter 3, verse 9, because I, I want us to get a running start into the context that we find here. When you find it, would you stand together with me as we show honor to the word of the Lord? I want to say up front, I know that anytime the church starts talking about the role of women in the church, people get all kinds of cringy on both sides of the aisle. So here is our desire, not to be the slightest bit politically correct, not to be the slightest bit in step with whatever uh, modern trends are going on in the church, to be wholeheartedly biblical as Christians. Amen. So I, I want us to see in context as we read this, God's call to all of us, And then he's going to break it up into categories. God's call uh, to submission to our government. God's call to submission in the workplace, whether that is uh, a business owner and a worker or a slave and master. God's call uh, to wives, submission to husbands. God's call to husbands towards their wives. And that all of you are called to this unity in Christ. All right, So that's, that's where we're going. God, I pray you'd help us see with gospel eyes. I pray you'd give us hearts that forget everything this world has told us, everything that we have heard that has been man's ideas in past sermons, that maybe take the truth to an unhealthy place. I pray that we would see your heart for your people in your word. Holy Spirit, cause your word to come alive inside of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake. Be subject. Put yourself under. Put yourself in line with and submission to others for the Lord's sake. Not for your own sake. Not because it's best for you. Not because they're better for the Lord's sake. To every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. By the way, uh, the emperor was going around cutting Christians' heads off when this was said. Let's get the context right. Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Live, Christian, as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil or selfishness. Or your own will above everyone else's. 
but living as servants of God. Don't just live as free, but live as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for it? Just let that that sit with you for just a second. What, What benefit is that? If when we sin we get in trouble for it, it's none other than corrective. If you do that and you endure, but what if when you do good you suffer for it and you endure? Well, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ, here's where he pins his argument, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Chapter 3, verse 1, likewise. This has all been part of the same argument. That's the framework for all of us, men, women, children, entrusting ourselves to a sovereign God. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, that's a non-Christian, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respect and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braining of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, uh, the wearing uh, or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Verse 7, likewise. Pin that, that word, likewise. In the same way that women were to submit the men, likewise. Husbands, love your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Verse 8, finally, and he says this is for all of you. Have unity in mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. God, we pray you'd bless the reading of your word. Give us hearts to receive it, we pray, through Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I wanted you to see in context this call to surrender of your life to God's sovereignty. Whether it is surrendering to government authorities, 
Even unjust authority, as we saw in the servant-master, the, the slave and master relationship. Our, our submission is not to them because we trust in them as just, but because we've entrusted ourselves to him who judges justly. Likewise, wives, we respond in a certain way. Likewise, husbands, we respond in a certain way. Here's our problem. As soon as you start talking about submission to anything, I thought this was an interesting quote. Our modern demand for independence and autonomy is repulsed by the notion of being subject to anyone, even for the Lord's sake, even for the gospel's sake. We have a modern repulsion at being subjected to anyone, anything, even if it's for the sake of the gospel, we say, I'm not interested. I felt like this position was summed up, especially thinking about the role of women. Uh, there's a modern folk singer named Ani DeFranco who had an interesting quote. She said this, My idea of feminism is self-determination. And it's very open-ended. Every woman has the right to become herself and to do whatever she needs to do. Now, just think about the implications of that for a second. Total self-determination. I am the master of my own destiny. Open-ended, it can be literally anything that I want. In that process, I'm actually becoming myself. In other words, this isn't currently yourself. Like, that's a, that's a strange philo- philosophical thought right there. And to accomplish what I want, I can do whatever it takes to make that happen. That is, I think, a rather succinct way of saying what the world is doing, especially to our young women, is it is pushing and pulling them and this isn't just our, our, our women, it's even our young girls, in contradictory directions simultaneously. A constant pull on how you should think about yourself, how you should feel about yourself, how you should see yourself in the context of the world around you. So they, they say two different things at the same time. Number one, let no one, especially a man, hold you back or hold you down. Don't let them look on you any different than if you're a man. You're you're just exactly the same as all those boys around you, all those men around you. And then they say something quite different, which is this. Use the power of your feminine sexuality to get whatever you want. Because you're just exactly like a man. Those are opposite arguments that are being made simultaneously on our young women. If you want a good pop culture reference, I think the Mulan movie summed this up in a powerful song that we sang to an undercover young lady, Be a Man. Here's the problem. There's opinions about what it means for a woman to be a woman, for a young girl to be who God has made her. Even biblical-based opinions are everywhere, and there's a million different voices saying, follow me. Who do you listen to? Biblical authors, people who genuinely love Jesus, have sought out the Scripture saying, this is what it looks like to be a woman. No, this is what it looks like to be a woman. How do you relate to competing voices, ladies, that are just echoing inside of your head? I'm not saying that ladies hear voices in their head. Don't send me emails on that later. Who should you listen to? In a relentless world that is constantly sending you a message 
of this is who you are, this is who you need to be, who do you listen to? The message isn't just who you are, it's what you are. You, you can become this if you buy this. If you wear this, if you do this, all you got to do is grow the, the store someplace and while you're going through the checkout aisle, look at the magazines that are there. Like four tips to get his attention. How to dress so he'll notice you. How to flirt with him so he'll notice you. So here's, here's the two different areas we can see this going. Number one, you end up living and dying based on a man's affection and attention. This is super unhealthy. And dishonoring to the God who made you in his image and crowned you with beauty. So much beauty that the scripture refers to you as being the crown of glory for the man. Like, ain't nobody looking at that guy with back hair going, that's the crown of glory. No, it's you. And yet you can so miss that that you live and die based on a guy's attention and affection that he pays to you. Most of the time, that's physical attention. That's feminine charm that you're using to attract his attention. Here's the problem with that. Proverbs 31, verse 30 says this. It's from the New Living Translation. I just love the way that it said it. Charm is deceitful, and beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Oh, where you are right now, especially young girls, where you are right now, is not where you'll end up. Oh, you will be seasoned by life and years and experience and children and joys and sorrows. And if you have put your hope in the living God, have trusted in God, there will come a day when your children, your grandchildren, rise up and call you blessed. Or you can trust in your feminine wiles and your beauty in your power to allure and attract a man, get his attention and affection right now, and I promise you, one day that will fade. I'm not saying you'll be any less beautiful. I'm saying I don't think that's what you want to pin your hopes to. Oh, I, I'm, I'm young, I'm attractive, I'm fit, I'm active, I'm 16 to 22, and I'm, I'm drawing this guy's attention. Oh, all eyes on me. And you, you win his attention. Well, good for you. You convince him to marry you. Good for you. And then 20 years goes by. And you've got two and a half kids later. I don't know what the national average is right now. Your life has changed. The demands on your life has changed. You don't laugh at his jokes anymore. Right around year 20, that just ends. You should know that. <laughs> she did. The irony in that was just fantastic. <laughs> But after, after that time, your body doesn't look the same as it did when you used it to allure him in. And now he's going to work every day, and he's looking at his 22-year-old secretary who looks a lot like you did 20 years ago, and he says, well, that's what attracted me to start with. That's what it's attracting me now. Ladies, you don't want any part of that. Are you with me? Oh, but it's so much different to see the inner beauty hidden within her as she trusts in the Lord. And he says, man, I love that all day long. Years can come and go. We're going to grow old together. There's nothing of that fleeting beauty there. Oh, it's just that which lasts and lasts. 
So it can be living and dying by a man's affection. Here's the other thing. It can be because we've done that, you get so hurt. You get so traumatized that now you start having suspicion towards all men, rejecting all men, despising all men. Ladies, let me just be super honest with you. This world is worse for you than it is for us guys. It's true. Why did God make it that way? Well, I think I know the answer, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Just one of the ways that it's worse. One out of three young women and girls will be either raped or sexually assaulted in their lifetime. One out of three. You know what that makes me want to do as a dad? They make movies about it. I'll I'll just leave it right there. Here's what happens. You get so hurt by a sinfully broken, twisted, perverted world that you go, I'm I'm done with them. You either go, I'm done with them, or I'm using them. Like Those are the two opposites that generally happen. The I'm done with them, Irina Dunn summed it up like this. A woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle. Who cares? I don't want you. I don't need you. Church, listen, that's dangerous. That's dangerous for women to say. That's dangerous for men to say because God said the opposite. God actually said you have been made for one another. Genesis, in fact, flip with me. We've only got a couple scriptures we're going to turn to. Flip with me to Genesis chapter 1. It's literally the first chapter in your Bible, so should be able to find it. I want you to see this on the page for yourself. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us, God speaking in the plural of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, within the, the triune God, let us make man, and by that he means mankind. We know that because of, of context, what's coming in our image. After our likeness, and let them, right, that's how we know it's not just one man. A man is actually the word Adam here, which is what, what we call the first man, uh, but it was in reference to all of mankind. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now this is before Genesis 2 is going to tell us how that worked. How God takes the earth and and he makes this clay man out of him and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life and then puts him to sleep and takes the rib and makes woman. Now we could read that if God had only given us that and said, well, I think woman was a second thought. Like God made man and then he said, actually, it's not good for man to be alone. I think I messed this one up a little bit. I better add some woman into this thing. If this, is, if this horse is going to go down the road. Are, are you tracking with me? Guys, come on. If our wives weren't in our life, uh, my wife was gone. Was it over Easter you were gone? Uh, and I forgot to set up family gatherings twice. They're like, hey, what are we doing for Easter? I'm like, <gasps> Easter? <laughs> Woo! I mean, it's, it's only when Jesus rose from the dead, you know, no big deal. I'm like, yeah, we'll figure that out. And then I forgot again. And my family's like, hey, what are we doing for Easter? I'm like, Easter? Like, I'm a wreck without her. Are you tracking with me? If we only had Genesis 2, we could think that's the story. 
Right? That actually leads to modern feminism. Modern feminism, by the way, isn't about uh, elevating the role of women. It's about denigrating the role of men. The Bible is about elevating both. Not a lot of amens, just one baby crying, but that's all right. Verse 27 is really clear. In, in Hebrew poetic language, which uses repetition to strengthen a point, that God made man in his own image and made them male and female. That the image of God is actually fully displayed in male and female. We are made for each other. From the beginning, God has built strengths into male and female. Strengths that overlap. Abilities and roles and responsibilities that overlap. And unique, exclusive roles and abilities that are made to complement each other. So some overlap where they're shared uh, giftings, talents, responsibilities, and some are meant to face each other. That's actually the, the word that's used there where uh, God made the woman to stand in front of him, that, to, to face each other, to complement each other. Peter says uh, back in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Man, I can't think of a better illustration than these two cups, which <laughs> you have one which is strong. I'm not doing that with this one. Are you with me? Uh, one strong, like you probably throw this in the back of your truck and it's going to ride for weeks and be just fine. Then you have sort of this delicate cup. Now these are for the same thing, right? The, the purpose is the same. We're going to put something hot and delicious into this hopefully brewed in England, because that best tea comes from there. But anyways, uh, to be enjoyed, one is delicate, one is intricate, one is nuanced, and one is sort of rough and ready. And I, I wanted to use this as an illustration of, of God made man and God made woman. We, we have overlapping responsibilities, but God made us very differently. And then you know what I did? This is awesome. I thought of this when I went to pick up the cup. I forgot this one at home, and I had to call my wife. I'm like, honey, can you bring the cup? <laughs> Teamwork. <laughs> Just fantastic. They're the same. These two cups are the same, and they're really different. Are, are you with me? Here's the stupidity of our world. Our world wants these two cups to be identical. They, they want them to be made of the same, treated the same. And I would just say, ladies, if you demand to be treated like a man, you're a fool. God did not make you for that. You are meant to be, I hope we treat this so much better. In fact, I was like really careful when I was setting it down. There's, there's a delicateness, a preciousness that this has that the other one doesn't. Which is why I banged it on the pulpit. Because if it broke or didn't break, I, it was like it's going to be fine. Ladies, God has built something beautiful and precious into you that is worth protecting. There's a nuance to you. There's an intuition to you that guys don't have, and we desperately need it from you. Now, guys, there's a, a rough and tumble version of you that our ladies desperately need in provision and protection. As our kids were growing up, I taught all of them to shoot. Like, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mess with my two daughters. Just, just throwing that out there. Uh, if someone was to break into the house, uh, my daughters are equipped for this purpose. But I also told their husbands, listen, 
If they have to pick up that gun, it better be stepping over your dead body because your job is to protect her. You're like, I can't believe you tell your daughters to shoot. It's true. God has made us different. Physically, emotionally, mentally different, and yet spiritually equal in value, equal in worth, equal in finding our identity in Christ. Here's the problem. We keep looking through the lens of this world of what it means to be equal because we keep defaulting to, I want the same. I want the same. Modern feminism has so effectively devalued women. That's what feminism has done. It has devalued women. It hasn't elevated them. It has devalued them to the level of a man. The whole point of the man was to stand and lift her up, and you've got squished down to his level. That unless I'm treated exactly like a man, it's not fair. But God made us different. One of my favorite examples of that was when our kids were young, they loved the show Bones. Did anybody ever watch that? Uh, about a forensic anthropologist who has to solve all these mysteries and whatnot. One of the first things they do every single time, they, they find a, a skeleton somewhere and they look at it and they go, that's a girl, that's a guy. How dare you judge their gender? <laughs> well, because we can find a skeleton from 2,000 years ago and judge its gender immediately. If we could do it, we could open you up and look at your chromosomes and find out right away. Uh, you don't even have to do that. You can look at brain scans. Let's look, look at this first thing. Uh, they, they said to women and they said to men, I want you to just sit here, look at a white wall, and look and think about nothing. This is literally a brain scan of a woman thinking about nothing and a man thinking about nothing. <laughs> Ladies, you want to be like him? Are you kidding me? Feminism is a devaluing of women down to the place of men. Now, I am super glad that God created men like this. By the way, this is on purpose. There are things in this world that are so dark and so evil that it causes a generation of men to rise up, put aside all of those thoughts of home and love and security, and march on to war to defeat that which is evil. I am grateful that God built this into our men. And that's the last thing I want for our beautiful, beautiful women. Are you, are you tracking with me here? Look, look at the next brain scan. Right? That, that's the thinking about nothing. This is actually what we do think about. And what they have found that the women's brain communicates between the two hemispheres nonstop. That, that means the, the rational and the emotional side of your brain are firing all the time. We frequently say that women are more emotional than men. The reality is women are able to take that emotion and bring it into the rational world. Guys' brains tend to only go uh, front to back in their, their thinking as they looked at it through fMRI scans. That basically means that there are certain uh, physical tasks that guys are going to be better at. If you don't believe me, watch the women's NBA. Just once. I mean, only watch it once, only watch it for a limited amount of time, and then turn it off. I don't like watching men's NBA because I think it's cheating, right? I, I think, I, personal opinion here, I, I'm not saying this is in the Bible, but if you're seven foot tall, the rim should be at least 15 feet. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> it's like me walking into the playroom with the kids, like, dominating, like, ah, dunk. Who cares, right? 
But God has made men and women really, really differently. Ladies, God has made you specifically for a reason. And sometimes you hate the fact that 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 emotional connection makes you feel so much more fragile, but God has made you beautiful and not just rough and tumble. There's a delicateness that you bring into our lives and our families that we have to have. By the way, we're going to spend the majority of this time talking about follow me, uh, trying to remind you who it is you should follow before we get to the end on how it is you actually lead. So we see similarities, we see differences, even just in the physical realm of our brain. And then we look at things that men are interested in, women are interested in, how they think, how they feel, how they respond to the world around them. And again, women, you are told you need to think and act and live like a man. So whether it is uh, your time and your work and, and time with family and, and time raising children, the, the average age for raising children keeps getting older and older and older. As, again, we devalue the role of women. Only our modern society is doing that so much that the birth rates are going down to the place where they're not able to actually sustain nations anymore. Our civilization is going to start slipping because we have so devalued women. And here's the foolishness. We've taken two different things that God made it, and we said one's better than the other. So I never use props in sermons, and I have two sets of them, and I feel like a dork doing it, but here it is. Which one of these is better? Depends on what you're doing. Right? If if you want, these are both for building things, right? Both for, for structural, fixing things, whatever it is. If you have a nail to pound in, which one do you want? The hammer, right? Because this makes a crummy hammer. It's, it's going to mess everything up. Are you with me? Guys, I'm not saying you can't be the loving, nurturing, uh, teaching wing of your family. I'm just saying, look back at a generation who was raised by dads who'd uh, spent their time in World War II. Uh, you can spot those families. Some of you maybe even grew up in those families. There's a place for this, and yet this makes a terrible wrench. This makes a terrible grip. Like, it, if I'm trying to get a hold of something and I'm using this, it, it's just ineffective. If we aren't doing what God made us to do, and we go, I want to be the other one, because it pays more. I absolutely believe women should get paid at least as much as men for what they do. Let's be honest. When they're on the job, women are a lot of times better than men. You can't say amen right there. Oh. That whole connectedness between the brains. Guys, we get, we get one thing on our mind, and then all of a sudden it's 5 o'clock, and your wife's calling you like, why aren't you coming home yet? You're like, oh, I don't know. I forgot. I, I just got into what I was doing. And the whole time they're just sort of connecting all the pieces of everything. They're, they're way more connected than we are. We should absolutely have equal pay for equal work, just in case you guys think I'm against that. But on earth, I can't come up with a reason why a woman would want to be a man. God has made you special. God has made you better than that, more precious than that. There's different roles. Everything that we do within those roles, this is, this is probably the main point. Everything that we do in those roles is pointing to something. It's pointing to God. It's actually pointing directly at the Trinity. With our humanity, we are pointing at 
the Trinity. So before we read this scripture, let me ask you a question. Is Jesus less valuable than God the Father? Now, if you're going to be accurate theologically, you have to say absolutely not. Co-equal in majesty, co-equal in eternity, and yet with different roles that they keep within the Godhead. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Listen to this. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. There's only one coupling in that verse that is unequal, and that is man and Christ. We are, we are finite, and he is the infinite God. Christ and his Father are equals. Man and woman are equals, and yet they demonstrate headship because we're not pointing to us, we're pointing to him. You see this beautifully played out, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28, when all things are subjected to him, that's Jesus, then the Son himself also will be subjected to him, that's the Father, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Jesus, when all is accomplished, will bring it before the Father. Not because he is less than the Father, but that so in the fullness of this divine theater that God has created in this world, God will be all in all. Husbands, when you love your wives, when you are gentle with her, when you are considerate with her, you are reflecting the divine theater of God who is the caregiver of all. And wives, when you lovingly submit and surrender to your husband, As to Christ, right? So not outside the bounds of that. We don't have time to go all the way down into that this morning. You are reflecting the gospel to a watching world. The relationship of husband and wife is pointing to Christ and his Father. It's also pointing, Ephesians 5 tells us, to Christ and his church. Here's the second fill in the blank. God made us different to reflect his glory. God made us different, not like each other, yet made for each other to reflect his glory. Uh, We read this earlier, that the context is an unbelieving husband, a non-Christian husband. 1 Peter 3, verse 2 says, when you see, when they see your respect, your pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, braiding of your hair, putting on of gold jewelry, uh, putting on the clothing that you wear. I I always thought it was interesting uh, in the King James Version that I grew up with, with this, it said, the putting on of dresses. And the ones who were really biggest into this were the ones who braided their hair and only wore dresses. I'm like, all right, so I I think we're missing something of what God had intended here. And it's actually uh, found in verse 4, but let your adorning. It doesn't say don't do these things. Women, God has built you for beauty. I guarantee your husband did not stand in front of the mirror this morning going, oh, I wonder how this is going to (laughs) look. Like you're walking out of the door and you're like, did you comb your hair? And he's like, I think so. Like, God made you for a beauty that we as men don't carry. So he's not saying, don't, don't put on clothes. Well, we're grateful you put on clothes to come to church this morning, right? <laughs> he's saying, dress yourself really with something else. Let your adorning, let your real dressing be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty, that which will not fade. A gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Oh, can you hear the opposite of what modern feminism calls for? Oh, if you talk about being a gentle and a quiet spirit, well, you're never going to get ahead like that. You've got to walk all over people. Yet this verse says it is very precious to God. Look at verse 5. This is how 
holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. This is anchored in our hope in God. Ladies, how you react to your wife, or how you react to your husband, is anchored in your hope in God. This is how you submit to God, by submitting to him. Husbands, how you love your wives is anchored in your hope that's in God. If you are not gentle with her, if you are not loving with her, if you are not listening to the wisdom God has given her, it reflects on how much you are trusting in God. Are you guys with me so far? Half of you. Ladies, part of your saying, follow me to a world that is actively rejecting the gospel and rejecting God is your loving, joyful submission to your husband. And I'm not talking about a way that gets so misrepresentative the man can squash you down. Guys, let me have your attention. For those of you who fell asleep and your brain went dead, right? bring it back. If you say to her, I'm the head of this house and you have to listen to me, you're an idiot. All right, good. I was going to wait on that one. We were waiting until somebody said amen to that. You've missed the point entirely. When was the last time, guys, Christ came to you and said, listen, I'm the head of you. You better submit to me. You better do what I tell you to do. No, in kindness, he draws us to repentance. In kindness, he shows love to us while we were still in rebellion towards him. Guys, let your headship look the same in your house. God has called you to bear a responsibility, but you better do it in love. Are you with me? Amen. Mike, I'm glad you're here. Here's why. Guys, your wife's submission isn't actually to you. It's through you to Christ. She's not actually submitting to you. She's wrapping herself in that kind of beauty that God said is very precious. Very, that, that word actually means costly or expensive in the sight of God. She's looking through you, all of your imperfections, all of your quirks that she loved when you were dating, and now they drive her nuts. She's looking through those to the leadership of Christ, and she is anchoring that in the sovereign God of the universe who judges rightly. Now, depending on your conditioning, and I'm using that word conditioning very intentionally here, you might be having some very different thoughts in response to what we're talking about. You might be saying, oh man, I knew it was this, or oh man, I knew it was that. Here's why. Historical and cultural norms are constantly changing throughout time. So the the evolution of gender roles, especially in the last hundred years, has just devolved into stereotypes. Where as soon as you hear certain words, boom, that's immediately what we go to and we get offended about things. So we have the feminist extreme that women can and should work, fight, and die just like a man. By the way, ladies, congratulations. I I mean, no one's probably said congratulations. Let me be the first. This week, the very first female four-star admiral was commissioned, and it was a dude. Congratulations, ladies. You did it. Our world sucks. Anybody else? Even so, come quickly, Lord. All right, so that, that's one extreme. Here's the other extreme. 
And that is some, some sort of strange Christian twist on this of the uh, women have to be barefoot and in the kitchen all the time, right? Under the subjection of her husband. Can I just remind us of something? There's no 1950s Leave it to Beaver version of stay-at-home mom found anywhere in the Bible or anywhere in history prior to 1900. It doesn't exist. I was at a conference a few years ago where John Piper was talking about this. He says the reason is when there's a chance that your family will starve to death this winter, anybody else worried about starving to death this winter? Nobody. Our freezer just went out last week, and we have no fears of starving to death. You know why? Because we have another freezer. When, when your whole family might starve to death, the husband works and the wife works and the children work from sun up to sundown. You do what you have to do to stay alive. Uh, Piper said this, uh, talking about this debate of what's men's work, what's women's work, how that should work out. Uh, Whether women should work outside of the home, Piper laughed and said, you're thinking about this like modern Americans. Husbands, wives, children did whatever necessary to survive in an agricultural society. There weren't societies prior to the mid-1800s, early 1900s that were primarily uh, work, where you left the home and you went someplace else. Everybody worked, and most people worked at home. And so if a tree, this was the illustration he used, if a tree fell over in your back field and it it crushed the fence, and now you have a a loss potentially of livestock that you got to go take care of. And somebody has to go deal with that tree and deal with that fence. And God has given one of the members a specific muscular and skeletal structure. It makes sense for him to go and take care of it and for her to do the other jobs that are necessary for the family to stay alive. Are you tracking with me? In an agricultural society, we all work together to get the job done. Headship and submission are about reflecting God accurately in his created order and capacity, not superiority. That's the part that we miss. Not one is superior to the other. One subjects the other. No, the woman only joyfully subjects herself. Guys, you don't ever get to do that. Ever. It's her loving submission to reflect our love for Christ. And yet leadership in the home, under the biblical umbrella of headship is intended to be a back and forth, like passing off the baton of shared responsibilities and complementing abilities. I I read a really interesting thing about the Native Americans who lived in this land right here, right right in this area. uh, If you want to just be really, really sad about our history in this area, read what we did to the Native Americans here. It is heartbreaking. One of the things that we did was we said you have to stop your way of life you have to build permanent houses, stop, stop your nomadic hunting, and build houses and become farmers and keep livestock just like us. And you know, you know why the Native Americans hated that? <laughs> keep in mind, we live in an in a almost exclusively farming community right here. Like we're worshiping in a farming community right here. You know why they hated it? Because farming was women's work. And they said, absolutely not. Now, isn't it funny how culture has changed and shifted the boundaries? Man, we got to be really careful on what category we put it in. And yet we see this shared leadership responsibilities. Man, every time the kids get sick, you can see the one who steps up. 
Every time there, there's something that needs to be done like that, we see mom take her role. When there's other things, we see dad take his role. Here's what I would, I would say to us in this. Rather than superimposing our modern cultural ideas on what the Bible says, Romans 14.22 says, whatever you believe about these things, keep it between yourself and God. Now, I'm, when I use that verse, I'm talking specifically about the how-to's, because that's almost entirely missing in every biblical account. That's where the church gets itself in trouble, when instead of discipling the heart, we say, this is how you do it. And then everybody starts looking alike, don't they? Everybody's got the same jean skirt on, except for the guys. All of a sudden, there's cultural norms that this is what defines us. We've told you how so much that we forgot to say this is the heart that you're after. And every one of these passages, go home and read them. I'm running out of time here. i got way too much stuff here. Ladies, every single one of these is pointing at your heart, not your outside. Not what you're wearing, not what you're doing. The reason is, ladies, you have an outsized impact on your children, on your grandchildren, on other ladies and even your husband that no other man could ever have. Your role is so important. So I'm going to leave. We're going to talk about Titus 2, but we're going to, I'm going to actually leave that whole thing uh, for the podcast. So join us on Wednesday and we'll talk about that because this is too important to skip. But I want to read to you a quote from Vodi Bakum as we wrap it up and then, and then point you to what are the areas where you, you need to be striving to lead well. Considering uh, these passages and specifically looking at Titus 2, uh, Vodi said this, Does this mean that a biblical womanhood says that a woman can never do any kind of work outside of her home? No, I don't think so. I don't think Proverbs 31 agrees with that. I'm not going to make that argument. I know women, they have all kinds of stuff that they're doing outside of the home. That's not what's being said here. But here is what is being said here. This is good. There's no priority in biblical womanhood that supersedes the priority of a woman's role in her home. The whole world knows this is true. Listen to that last part one more time. There is no priority in biblical womanhood that supersedes the priority of a woman's role in her home. Now, I don't want to drag politics into this, But I'll just say there's a national debate going on right now on what role that has for a woman in maternity leave and what role that has for a man in paternity leave. And the whole world's kind of laughing at him. While we recognize it, it is important for us to take care of our children, moms, nobody can do this job like you. And if you put other things above what God has naturally gifted you to do, that fire he's put within you, I guarantee... Just like we say to men, that there'll never be a time where you're laying on your deathbed and said, I wish I would have spent more time at work. I wish I would have invested more hours in the office. Women, you will never say that because men will never say that either. Do what God has made us to do and we will find incredible joy in it. And yet you can do almost anything. Seriously, check the midweek podcast out. Uh, there's some great stuff we're going to mine out in, twi- in Titus 2 here. Uh, in 1 Timothy 5. Spoiler alert here, First uh, Timothy 5.14 says, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, and manage. It's actually the word rule. It's the word despot. That's king. Be the king of your household. Well, that just messes some people's theology up all, all over the place. 
uh, 1 Timothy 5.14, check it out. Now, he, he uses a different phrase, so he doesn't use the word for owner. He uses the word for despot. It's super interesting. Here's, ladies, some practical applications here. Pour yourself into your family. Man, that godly, connected wisdom that, that no man can do. Pour that into your family. Say to them, follow me as I follow Christ. Pour yourself into your husband. If you're married, pour yourself into your husband. Come alongside in a way that enables him to follow Christ. If you are not married, pour yourself into the kingdom of God. God may just be calling some of you to give your lives to the kingdom and missions in such a way that causes those who've never had children to have multiple children in the kingdom. To see many sons come to glory. Pour yourself out into other women. Demonstrate godly, nurturing hearts that are full of hope, anchored not in any man, not in your children or your beauty, but in God himself. And in all that you do, use your life and your love to point to Christ. Man, I, I promise you, ladies, if you follow the pattern of this world, at some point there will be a moment of deep regret, of deep loss. And if you pour yourself into the kingdom of God and into Christ, no matter if you ever are married and have children, if you serve on uh, the farthest mission field on the other side of the world, you will say it was worth it because Jesus is worth it. Live lives that point to Christ. Worship team, if you guys would come on up. I know we're over time. Thanks for being patient with us. Actually, there's no us. It's just me. <clears throat> I want you to know, I have... I labored over some of these scriptures. In fact, I had so many that I, I cut out a whole bunch. And I told Andrea on like Thursday or something, I'm like, this sermon is giving me serious anxiety. Because I know there is so much division over the role of women. And I hate it. Because God has made you so precious. God has made you so valuable. And we've reduced it to an argument about who's right and who's wrong. Man, who cares? Be who God made you to be. Glorify him with every fiber of your being. And don't put anything else above that. So here's, here's the family talk. Go home and as a family, read Proverbs 31, 10 to 31. Hear this beautiful model of this hard-working woman who loved her family, was more than capable and then, especially for families with kids, go around the circle and say, what's my favorite thing about mom? Sometimes moms just need a little encouragement. We can go, oh, yeah, I joyfully am uh, submitting to this. I, I'm joyfully fulfilling the role God has made me to do. And then you come to a Thursday and you're just tired. It'd be good this afternoon. Just sit down. Here's my favorite thing about mom. And then pray together. Go around the circle. Have everybody in your family. Pray for her. Bless her. Because, kids, that's the same thing she's doing for you. In fact, as we, as we wrap things up, we're actually going to sing the same song we started with. This call to us as families, but especially to moms, especially to women. Maybe you're here and you're, you're single. Maybe you don't have any children. God, I still called you to be a mom. I, I promise that that mothering in, instinct that you see in little, little girls that you don't see in little boys, that you don't have to teach them. 
And you find other women, you wrap your arms around them, you love them, you encourage them. You pour your strength and God's love into them. As we pass that promise of salvation onto them, man, let's remember that the only way we have a chance to do that is because God has first done that with us. Oh, male and female, lost in sin when God calls our name. That as we come to the table of the Lord, we remind ourselves that it's his body broken for ours. It's his blood shed in the place of our blood that purchases our salvation. So as as we sing, you can come. uh, There's wine in the gold and juice in the silver on both sides. Uh, Start at the front, make your way back to your seat. Uh, You can give tithes and offerings either now or on your way out. Uh, But let's stand together. And I want us to just take a moment to examine our hearts. If there's sin that you've just sort of been carrying along for a while, man, this is the time to confess that. Let's not come to the table without rightly examining our hearts. This is also a great time to say, God, you've made me for this. Help me be faithful. Whether it's a man or a woman, help me be faithful to who you have made me to be. Let it just be joy and strength, not just to me, but to those around me. Take a moment just between you and the Lord, and then as we sing, just come, take the elements, make your way back, and we'll take them together. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.